Welcome and thank you for downloading the Green Majority Podcast, our holiday edition. It is just uh, before Christmas we're recording this. It might be after Christmas when you hear it. Uh, however, we are in the holiday season, so we have, a, but we have a good show for this week. I feel like we really dug into a meaty topic, and yes, that is an intentional pun. You'll find out in a second. Uh, so all I'm going to do right now is just, uh, first of all, happy holidays to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for, for listening. Uh, and uh, a reminder that we just have a few weeks left. I know it's probably not the top of your mind over the holidays, but there is a couple uh, week, weeks left into the new year when you have less going on and that sort of thing to think about whether or not you would like to contribute directly to the Green Majority, uh, either as a producer or as a volunteer. We have some opportunities available. Uh, one or some of them may in fact even be paid, not a lot of money, uh, but we do have, uh, we have collected a very small budget together to uh, to get some help to try and, as Stefan and I, get more busy instead of decreasing the show uh, and its impact and the work that we put into it. Instead, we would like to increase that and try and expand uh, by getting some help. So if this is uh, first you're hearing of it, there is a post. It's tagged to our, our website. You can go to greenmajority.ca. It should be tagged, but it's called How to Be Our Producer or something like that. It should be right at the top. Uh, you can also send us an email if you don't see it, but it, it should be uh, right there. You can check that information out. Have a look. Even if you're not sure, we do have some stuff people can do even who only have a little bit of time. Those those things wouldn't be paid, but we are accepting volunteers as well. So if you're interested in participating, you want to help out in the show, even if you don't have a lot of time, please do go check out that post. There's a short sort of mini podcast there, just about 15 minutes uh, explaining it. Uh, what's involved and then uh, and then some information about what it is that we're actually looking for and maybe you can think about that uh, the only other thing is if you feel like buying us a christmas present you can do that do that by being a uh, becoming a member you can go to patreon.com even just a couple of bucks doesn't have to be anything uh, seriously uh, recommended is five dollars you'll find that at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash green majority uh, because that would actually help us pay for that thing i was just explaining we don't have quite of the full budget so for the first while hopefully while we bulk up some of our membership that's going to be coming out of uh, my pocket uh, so you could definitely help out uh, by becoming a member which will reduce the amount uh, that comes out of my pocket that would be awesome uh, however that's about two minutes I don't want to take any more of your time please enjoy this I think very good show that Stefan and I managed to put together for you and we'll be back in the new year take care And welcome. You're listening to the Green Majority here. It's uh, the show right before Christmas. Uh, but, but, check this out. I'm actually rested today. Stefan, how are you feeling? A little, a little less rested. All right. So, three quarters of a person between the two of us. <laughs> I'm rocking and ready to go. So, I will be providing the energy today, apparently. And Stefan will be providing the details because I slept and he read news. So. <laughs> Boom, there we go. So, Stefan, you're going to be uh, giving us a little update on... Uh, oh, you know what? I got so excited, I'm going to do my usual thing. Let me back up for a second. You're listening to The Green Majority. You might be listening on CIUT right now, which is a great place to listen to it. Another great place to listen to us is on our podcast. You might be listening there. You can find that at greenmajority.ca. You could also be listening on one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio sponsors. This is an environment news hour. Maybe this is the first show you ever turned into. You're bored. you got to do Walkman, possibly, as an early Christmas present. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe one of those gift exchange things where people give old stuff to people mm. who knows now now i think we're ready are you ready <laughs> oh so ready okay so stefan's gonna uh stefan's gonna introduce us with a little bit of a divestment update where we might have a little chat about that it's gonna be fun the big meat today haha 
is uh, Mombiot, uh, George Mombiot, uh, who many of you are probably familiar with that name. Uh, if not, Google him and make sure you turn safe search on because there's going to be a lot of hateful stuff. A lot of people don't like George Mombiot, but that's basically because they're dumb. Uh, he's not a terribly likable person, frankly, but he's very <laughs> smart and he knows what he's talking about. So he wrote a really good article about um, es essentially a case for eating plants that comes that's entirely science-based. So I know that a huge swath of our audience is going to love that uh, today because we're essentially going to be talking about uh, transitioning towards a meat-filled diet. Will we be advocating for an ev mandatory veganism for everyone? Spoiler. No, but I think it does lay the case for advocating for it as much as policy. And the case I'm going to make is is much more about policy because, uh, but but that's that's hair splitting. We will be talking about that later. But Stefan, you're going to start us off with some divestment news. So take it away. Yeah, thank you. So I feel like a lot of this year and has been depressing. Uh, and so what's interesting is that a lot of it also has seen the end uh, or the slowing down or the the seemingly sort of like collapse <laughs> maybe too strong of a word uh but like i'm not sure that it is all right um of uh, of sort of a lot of the building that has been happening in 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 the climate spaces over the last uh five or six years uh well really oh really the entire last we can go about far as back as saying last about eight i think uh if you sort of see the progress that was made during uh during the obama presidency uh, and and not just in America, sort of, but using that as a time frame, there was a wide range of places where this kind of support uh, was growing. You know, uh, you saw the Keystone XL pipeline get uh, have there's a whole the, its whole trajectory throughout those last eight years of it being basically a presumed a sure thing to being very successfully fought in a, in a variety of places to it being shelved by the Obama administration only to have this year for it to come back and basically be pushed through. Um, you saw the Paris Accord, the incredible amount of effort that was leading over the last eight years to get to a global agreement. Um, you know, it had its flaws, but at least it was a global agreement. And in 2018, you saw, you know, the United States pull out of that, or at least indicate that they will not renew it in 2020, despite the fact that, again, it has no actual teeth. And so leaving it is it is mostly performative rather than actually um, you know, doing a lot. Uh, but it does at least indicate that we cannot expect the 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 Republicans and, and Trump to actually do that much in that, in that case. And I think you see that with the rolling back of the EPA um, and in a variety of other uh, other measures. There's a, the political sphere uh, entering 2018 is uh, is a lot darker, I would say, than the political sphere. Entering. I believe that, if I can just jump in, the technical word for that, Stefan, is garbage fire. Yes. <laughs> the or political dumpster sphere fire, is a your, dumpster fire. Yeah, whatever your preferred technical term is. Yes, of course. Um, and, and so with that aspect of it sort of not looking so great uh the the environmentalists you know sort of cast uh, cast their gaze back out i think into uh into a wider range of uh, of of activism angles i thought you were gonna say the abyss <laughs> yes, the environmentalists <laughs> cast themselves into the abyss uh and that's it that's the whole show i now, said i was a peppy today not happy those are that's a very important difference that is that is very key um and so and so that's but to that is been has been historically the strength of the environmental movement is that it has consistently sort of shifted where the where the where the softest underbelly might be, and in an article uh, uh, out this week from Bill McKibben in in, in the New York Times sort of speaks to that uh, to that work, 
or actually his last Friday came out, so just uh, over a week now. Um, but it speaks to sort of this shift, at least currently in focus, from the political sphere into the financial sphere, because the financial sphere is now where we're seeing gains. You know, I think you, you're, you're constantly trying to push whatever is the is the is the is the is the, is the is the lightest boulder, I guess, up that hill, and 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 you're always trying different ones. And I think this is the is, is, they're being sort of all simultaneously pushed by different pieces, but you're seeing different action steps moving forward a little bit differently. And so this year, uh, and at least very very recently, it's looking as a finance is sort of the way, maybe the way into into really solving this thing or, or getting much further into this thing, um, specifically into divestment campaigns, because there's been a string of successes in the last little bit that have led to. Well, the, the, again, what's funny about this is the problem in the, the the part about divestment that is hardest, I think, to really to really feel is the announcements are are, are fun, uh, but the actual work is slow and 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 often uh, where actually the you know the devil is so often in the details that's that while you can announce X amount of money is being is pulled, it's hard to really see the the impacts of it. Uh, but the the good news. Because uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I, despite my low energy, I will have, I do have good news. Um, is that uh, recently, uh, we, which we, I do not believe we covered yet, the Norway's sovereign wealth fund uh, committed to divesting. Uh, it's has five trillion dollars of assets. Sorry, the, those are the investors. Uh, five trillion dollars assets is is who is currently in the market of people who have committed to dropping some or all of their fossil stocks. Uh, the sovereign wealth fund. Um, is is not that big, but they are the biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world, and they made a whole bunch of money off, um, off oil. That's their whole thing. Like Norway is sort of the example that I think people wish Canada would have done with the oil sands, mm-hmm. which is that if you're going to make a ton of money off oil, save that money for when you don't have oil and invest it in other things instead of just not doing that at all, which is what Canada has done. Right. And I think I, I think it's something I've said. Although I'm, you know, I'm, I haven't thought through in a, enough to like put this in paper and and put or post it on the website. But uh, in passing, I've definitely said on more than one occasion that, you know, if if the deal we got from Trudeau was look, okay, you know what, it was just actual honesty about his actual position. Really, not really a position change. But look, we're we're going to try and do it responsibly. But at the end of the day, we're gonna we're doing oil. Um, which is not even necessarily how it played out, but I don't think that's entirely him, right? I'm talking about like sort of his mindset going into it. But if we come out of the thing and said, look, we're going to try and do it responsibly, but at the end of the day, the 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 bow is softer on the making compromises side than it is on the not drilling oil side. But here's what I'm going to do. All of the revenue that isn't already tied into like current needs, all of the increased revenue, 100% of that is going to phasing us off oil, both as a export production, like as a, as a thing, we're going to make solar panels, we're going to export solar and geothermal experts. We have lots of geothermal experts. They're called pipe, you know, build pipeline builders. Um, I would have found that a very hard offer to say no to. And so when people like, uh, uh, what's her face with the trees, I'm, uh, support Berman yes. say you know hey well we need to come to the table that's the sort of table I could come to right like I don't like that deal but that's a deal we can talk about uh, but essentially the Norway model um, th- sorry I just thought that was relevant to yeah, stick yeah. in there like to what I mean when we say about like oh well, these you know people aren't operating in good faith that's the type of honesty and like look we're going to do this but but we're going to use all that money to invest it in in getting in solving this problem as fast as possible at least we can have a conversation about that mm. yeah and so, and so the so the sovereign wealth fund is a trillion dollars um, and and it has a it, again it has a pretty invested interest in oil <laughs> and so the fact that they are investing uh, is important and useful to know 
Um, and again, it's them saying they will divest remains does not actually mean they've done it yet. But still, that's each time one of these things happens, I think it leads to a larger. Uh, uh, hopefully, it's you get closer to the tipping point because like all of this is really. All of these little things are people expecting that tipping point to happen, and the more that hap- the, the faster we see these kind of investments early on, the more the more quickly we will hopefully see the tipping point, um, which, in this case, would likely be the dramatic decrease of stocks of, of oil and gas companies when it becomes clear they can't actually find financing for new projects, and so. After that, uh, a couple other things also just happened. Uh, the European insurance giant uh, AXA, AXA announced that it would divest itself from more than $825 million of investment in oil production uh, and pipelines in the tar sands of Canada, both for ethical and business reasons. So this is, again, divesting actually directly from only the tar sands, um, but speaks to how organizations are seeing the tar sands as a, as a truly... Uh, pardon the pun, toxic uh, asset to have, um, in, in part because it actually is, you know, it's it's even more destructive than traditional oil oil, oil exploration. And so um, so they announced yeah, $825 million that they're leaving. And again, insurance companies, as we mentioned in the show a, quite a while ago, are a fascinating piece uh, to look into in regards to climate because of how hard, much harder it is to insure an unstable climate. So insurance, a lot of insurance companies are coming to the table pretty strongly on this because they know it's their path to still making money. Well, it's one of the few big industries where we can, where it's a big enough industry that we can really see sort of in real time the effect on them of these issues. And it's also one of the other... Uh, one of the other reasons they're such a good thing to look at is that their entire business model is based on not lying. Mm. Like they have, like <laughs> you know, they can they can lie to other people, but they can't lie to themselves, right? Yeah. And so if they're like, okay, this is just bad. Like this is gonna we're gonna lose a lot of money if we try and you know if we had any other incentive for any other reason to go along with sort of propping up this like oh climate change is not a big deal thing. Uh, that's gonna bankrupt us. To, to be dishonest about that, either to ourselves or to anyone else. Um, so they, they're sort of a, in a unique position to provide sort of real-time market data on how people who are informed are thinking about this in a, in a, in a quantifiable financial sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the insurance companies are going to, like, you see it, especially in, in places where they're now being hit by these natural disasters, the insurance companies are artists removing themselves from these markets. Like, they're losing full markets, you know, the floodplains of Houston, uh, fires in California, a lot of these things are not being covered by insurance companies because they're just not profitable. Yeah. Which, in case you uh, hadn't put two and two together there, the next time there's a major storm or a flood in that floodplain, it's not getting rebuilt. It no. is not getting rebuilt. Or if it is, it's getting rebuilt it, and then sold as, as very cheap housing. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so they drop out. ExxonMobil, actually, uh, as, as another story, um, they th- they they're, McKibben's calling it throwing in the towel, uh, but it's basically they've, they've agreed. 62% of the shareholders voted in May uh, to demand that they start expect they start looking into how much climate policy will affect uh, their various ventures. And so this is climate policy, which is kind of funny. Like this isn't where this they're not checking how much climate change will impact their ventures. It's how much climate policy will impact their ventures. Right. Now, still important because hopefully the climate policy is strong enough that it will that it will end. Um, but like I, I have a hard time calling this activist investment. Like McKibben's giving credit to um, to uh, some sort of like uh, uh, activist investors uh, in this case, and it's like 
No, I don't, right. I don't agree. That's either, like a yeah. very that's a very low bar for activist investors to be like maybe pay attention to climate policy because that might matter to you. Well, because that, that like, doesn't even mean that the like you could all of those investors could be climate deniers, but they'd still be concerned about how policy is going to affect their business. Like that doesn't say anything about their intentions. Yeah, yeah, and but the, the, it does at least speak to a uh, a wider shift towards people understanding that they have to pay attention to climate in their market capitalization questions. So uh, the governor of the Bank of England, who's actually Canadian, Mark Carney. Uh, said this week that 237 companies with a market capitalization of more than $6 trillion, uh, including 20 major banks, uh, were now backing climate-related disclosure schemes, which is huge. Like, if you can change markets, especially things like the TSX and, and the Dow Jones and stuff like that, if they start demanding... Um, like they have a whole bunch of currently they have a whole bunch of of, of disclosures you need to do um, in regards to in regards to finance stuff, but very very little on the social side. If any of those major organization major uh, places start pushing this and advancing a more stringent climate disclosures, that would fundamentally change how much data is available to those of us who are trying to invest in a in, in a in a way that is uh, much more sustainable. And so, if like so, so again, two hundred thirty companies, seven companies, six trillion dollars, a relatively small amount of the global existence, but pretty significant from a from a standpoint of uh, of, of moving forward. Mm -hmm. I think it's also like another an important consideration on that before we move on is that um, when people are looking, so for instance, when we're talking about the uh, oil company investors who want to uh, analyze climate policy. Um, they even they are not looking at simply like oh good like Trump just opened up the uh, uh, the wildlife uh, preserve in the Arctic, uh, therefore you know all 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 go right. So like even they are smart enough they're aware of like people looking at markets aren't are looking short term and long term, and if they think okay well sure there it looks like there's probably going to be like a short term you know bonanza of regulations being lifted. But do we actually expect them to hold? Because these people are making decisions about investments over decades. And so they have to be confident, not just that Trump is going to be on their side, but that the next president's going to be on their side as well. And isn't just going to yank the rug out from them because that's far more risky, right? So if they're, if they're thinking, okay, well, you know, Trump's definitely on our side. Trump will do anything we ask him to do uh, as long as we do, you know, a public speech about how nice his hair looks. Um, that isn't necessarily going to, isn't necessarily enough for them to act. Uh, they have to also be confident that that the next president or the next two presidents will continue that trend. Mm. And what a lot of them are analyzing was that, you know, sure, we may have some forward motion here for a moment, but it does seem like the I can't remember how to pronounce the word I'm looking for right now, but the the unstoppable tide. Uh, is definitely still moving in that same direction. And this appears to be a hiccup and that the rest of the world is is not following Trump's lead and that very likely the U.S. will not follow Trump's lead the second they can not follow his lead. Um, so I think that's really more what you're seeing. I think that's a more accurate way of analyzing what we're seeing rather than, as 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 you say, uh, activist investors. Yeah, well, and there's... And there's certainly there there I think they're activists and then they're investors, um, and, and that's not to say that activists investors don't exist, but I just I just don't think a lot of activist investors are currently in, investing in Exxon. Um, but the last in that, I, that just strikes me the vision of like uh, someone being like I really want Pogs to come back, so I'm going to invest ten million dollars in Pogs. That's not how that works. That well, would be activist investing, and you'd be stupid. I think you'd bring back Pogs. I'm on those Pogs. Um, <laughs> but so the, you know, that's so the la and then the last news that is perhaps the biggest one actually uh, is that on Tuesday the World Bank. Uh, so this has been last Tuesday. Uh, the World Bank said that the world uh, that it would end all financial support 
for oil and gas exploration by 2019. Uh, it's it sort of made an earlier thing uh, where it said that it reduced for, for coal, but it's now expanded to all oil and gas. Uh, and for the because of the simple facts of, and by, this is a quote, rapidly a rapidly changing world. Uh, they are just the World Bank. Who knew? They're hmm. uh, they're saying things that they're taking climate change seriously, or at least not in, like seriously not investing in in or they've read a newspaper yeah, among, exactly. among the 50 of them once in the last decade yeah yeah exactly um but the so the world bank's uh so decision steve kretzman a veteran campaigner from the group oil change international who are at sort of international divestment campaigners uh are is quote saying is, is quote it's hard to overstate the significance uh, of this decision and goes on to say, it, it is time for all institutions, countries, investors, and individuals who are in the Paris Agreement to stop funding fossil fuels. And that's like that's one of those things where it's like, yes, obviously. <laughs> um, and that's not to say that Stephen Kretzman is not a, a smart person who is not saying, but it's just like it's funny that you have to say like the very simple things, like well, yeah, we should stop putting money into the thing that's killing us. But this is actually really important. Like the amount of money that the World Bank uh, sort of funnels through things, and the the amount of sort of more uh, political and um, institutional uh, importance the World Bank plays, that for it to do this is is pretty 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 big and will again probably not fully if won't re truly impact some of the sort of the, the things immediately but as again each one of these is a step for closer and closer and closer to accepting that we can't be burning this forever you know if, if and the the world bank is not necessarily going to you know st the world bank doing this is not going to stop uh you know the fossil fuel fuels in the oil sands tomorrow uh, or even probably by 2020 or 2025, um, but they pulling their money out of this uh, decision is, is super important because it, it does actually decrease the amount of chances that you have further exploration in other parts of the world, and it increases the chance that we're able to at least limit the the growth of fossil fuels uh, before the inevitable tipping point where we actually retract and, and stop using them. But it's it's still pretty big, um, and and it is one of the things where like the, they've been pressing the World Bank for years to do this, and so this is a win that I think that you can truly feel pretty good about, uh, because twenty twenty nine is a pretty it's a pretty fast timeline uh, to do this, and it's a pretty great it's a pretty good step. Uh, so for all of the people who've been working on divestment, you know, even if the, in the in so many of the divestment campaigns, I feel like probably feel like you're you really Sisyphusian. You know, you're pushing a boulder up a hill. That even when you get to the top, uh, the institutions, no matter how positive institutions are saying, especially in universities, I feel like this happens a lot. The institutions will say they're doing it or, or feel positive, feel positive, feel positive, and they'll end up on the bank on the desk of the person who actually would do the work, and then they're like, no, and then and then the whole thing falls apart. Um, and I and I think that's you can sort of see that happening in a couple different places in investments campaigns. But all of the diverse uh, divestment campaigns that have been happening over the over the past 10 years are I think a part of a glowing sea change that leads to things like the World Bank making the decision like the World Bank making the decision is not in a vacuum it's in a, it's in a world where every major public institution has seemingly has some sort of investment or divestment campaign pushing it to do better um, including larger ones like 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 Oil Change International, but including also really much smaller ones. You know, there's been indigenous groups in Canada who've been fighting for divestment from the from tar sands for the last 10, 15 years. Um, and so, it's all of these things that lead to these these wins. And I'm not sure that you can. I think 
that if you are a person who's working on any of these investment campaigns, you can sort of hang your hat on these success, on these more worldly successes, um, even if your particular institution has not, because you're creating an ecosystem where where it's not just that the World Bank is um, <coughs> feels feels able to do this. It's at the world. It's at, you're at a place where the World Bank doesn't feel like it's going to have a huge bash, backlash. We're in a world where the World Bank thinks that is doing this and is going to talk about it because that's the it's it's a it's it's a PR win for them. This is a good thing for them, and that that ecosystem is created by all the investment campaigns around the world. Making constant puns is somewhat avoidable on this <laughs> show. I've noticed. Uh, bad puns about terrible things. Yet another subtitle. <laughs> uh, Stefan, I think this is a decent place for music break. Okay, so uh, you may have noticed I haven't queued to uh, Megan or Steve. That's because I'm teching today, which also has the unfortunate side effect of meaning that uh, I have not terribly creative music choices. But uh, they're still good. They're just not terribly creative. So here comes uh, one of the unofficial theme songs of The Green Majority, Tragically Hip with New Orleans' is Sinking. We'll be back in about two minutes. And we are back. I'll uh, yeah, got a few minutes to try and think of another music song. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, if you got one, it's Canadian. Text at uh, Stejo right now on, on <laughs> Twitter, and uh, you'll get a request because I otherwise I have to come up with something. I'm sure I'll find. I'm sure there's at least more than one tragically hip song. Probably. <laughs> I, I think so. It's, it's hard to say. All right. Uh, so uh, what I wanted to do, Stefan, if it's all right with you, mm-hmm. is I actually, uh, as usual, uh, as I said, uh, Mambiat personally is um, can rub some people the wrong way. I understand that. Uh, I, there's a number of people that I admire that rub people the wrong way i won't list them because we don't want to get sidetracked but uh, i think someone not necessarily being the most personable person on the planet uh, is often uh, confused with them being wrong um and george mabiot is generally right about most things most of the time with that qualifier Mm -hmm. Uh, he's also a good writer so what i would like to do with your permission stefan is i would actually like to read the first very short beginning of this just to give us the context because i think his setup is really good and then we'll just start tossing facts around so this is now me reading george mabiot's commentary uh, from uh, the Guardian. You can uh, see the article. It's called "Masturbation is Humanity's Fate If We Keep Flogging the Land to, de- uh, to Death," and you can find that on the Guardian, or you can find that on our web post afterwards. So here's the here's the article from Mambiat. Brexit, the crushing of democracy by billionaires, the next financial crash, a rogue U.S. president. None of them keep me awake at night. This is not because I don't care. I care very much. It is only because I have a bigger question on my mind. Where is all the food going to come from? By the end of this century, there will be two or three billion more people on Earth. Any one of the issues I'm about to list could help precipitate mass starvation, and this is before you consider how they might interact. Trouble begins where everything begins, with the soil. The UN's famous projection that, at current rates of soil loss, the world has 60 years of harvest left, appears to be supported by a new set of figures. Partially as a result of soil degradation, yields are already declining, on 20% of the world's croplands. Now it keeps going and goes into a bunch of data, but I just think that's a really important uh, setup for my initial comment before we maybe get into some of the uh, into into some of the weeds here. Uh, is, with some of the more specific points, is that sort of thing? Is that that sort of concept? Is uh, you know, if you're looking up at the asteroid hurling to Earth that might you know could maybe hit Earth 50 years from now and and wipe us out, that you don't see the cliff. And, and wander over and and I think that's a, that's a good way to think about this and and so there's sort of two one of them is you know the idea of there's more than one thing going on right now that we should be somewhat terrified about um, and and more importantly act on uh, but also the uh, this idea that you to a certain degree you have to juggle them right if we dropped everything and focused entirely on 
soil preservation that would that would inevitably have consequences for climate change action because some of the things that are good for soil aren't necessarily going to be for climate change i can't think of one specifically but i'm sure there's one right I guarantee you i'll put money on it there's 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 a way that would f quickly address our soil issue that would be bad for climate change right so uh, you know that sort of thing so it's the the case for holistic uh, approaches, I think, and good strategy and holistic strategy and team building, those are all the messages that we that we talk about regularly on this show. And I think this article sort of has a good example of summarizing either, uh, yeah, summarizing examples of all of those points that we like to make on a regular basis here on the show. Um, <clears throat> but more specifically, Stephen, talking about the the actual way in which the soil is lost, right? So there's soil, soil is not dirt. Soil is something that takes millions and millions of years to, uh, it is a non-renewable, it is slow enough to reproduce itself, it's considered a non-renewable resource in the same way that oil technically is naturally occurring, but it takes millions of years as well. And so it's a non-renewable resource because it doesn't renew in any time frame that is in any way relevant to our consumption thereof. Um, to the point that it might as well never, there might as well never be more. Uh, because there won't be for the purposes of any planning we would ever want want or need to make. And soil is the same way. And so we're, we're losing soil in a variety of ways in that it's being <clears throat> uh, toxified in a way that can't be recovered. So if a bunch of mercury goes into the soil, there's not really a lot you can do around that aside from contain it. Uh, but we don't currently have the technology to like... You know, if some if there's been you know fracking, we can clean it so that maybe <clears throat> so that at least the the fracking company assures us it's fine to build a home on it. Uh, but you still shouldn't plant corn in it, <clears throat> and that sort of thing. Then there's then there's other types of soil loss, which is just literally like the earth moving and changing. <clears throat> and then there's sort of less obvious soil loss, which is potentially non-permanent, but I don't believe we currently have the technology to deal with it. And even if we did. There are financial interests that would fight you to the nail for it, which is the fact that, for instance, Ontario and specifically the Toronto GTA, General uh, Greater Toronto Area, has some of the best soil in Canada and so, and the largest amount of it, uh, and we've currently paved over most of it. Uh, so yeah, who needs corn when you have roads? Uh, so soil loss is is an important thing. It's a, it's a difficult thing to solve, and really the only thing you can do about it is prevent future loss. That's really the only action you can take. Uh, and one of the details that I wanted to grab and pull out uh, first on that is this very interesting thing, which I'd heard before, and it's sort of I, I always get re-surprised when I when I'm re-remember it or re-read something about it. Oh yeah, I remember that. It, that is shocking. Uh, is this number? And uh, Stefan, you actually will be less surprised because I know this is something you've spent more time looking into more deeply. Uh, but this idea of the that the factory farms have way way less yields than the smaller farms, and mm -hmm. so when you have uh, there was a number in there about, I, I believe, I could be wrong about the country, but the numbers are actually right. I know I have the numbers right. I believe it was in India was the example, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, but there's an area with a lot of farming uh, and there's a lot of hunger. And 30% of the farmland is small farmers, so family farms with uh, less than 1,000 acres, let's say. That number I'm not sure of. The, the percentages I am sure. 30% of the land is small farmers, and yet those that 30% of the land run by small farmers produces 70% of the food. And 70% of the land... <coughs> is uh is has 30 percent of the yield and all of that is for export <laughs> or nearly all of it is for export and so you're it, like every part of that is a bad decision so why does it happen well it happens because the people who are buying out the farmland don't care about they're not concerned about feeding people they're concerned about commodifying food for sale and those two things are not the same thing um and so but that's one of those uh, examples where, you know, when we're talking about, uh, well, you know, we have to not let large corporations buy out stuff because what about the family and people are like, well, you're just, you're in the way of progress. Is it? <laughs> 
does does land being 30% as productive as the land it was used is that progress or is the, is the progress the thing that you mean about how now one person is getting wealthy off it instead of 50 people having being able to have a life off it um so I just uh, some pushback about that concept of of I think that progress right uh, as well yeah um yeah I feel like the whenever you get into the concept of like the food system is so complex it's and and, and so many pieces of it follow and, 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 and so different even around the world right like the, even just like how any particular land uh, affects other land like even just you know how particular interplay exists within 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 land and 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 the farmers who are farming it is changes so much in different areas that it's it's a a massive um to try to sort of create these sort of generalized statements is quite difficult and yet there are some things that are so that are sort of proven time and time again um and and some techniques that are sort of that are proven to be generally either more climate friendly or or more or more and user friendly from a standpoint of what, whether or not you're eating something that's 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 quality or not, and these are sort of the practices that we were doing for a very long time until we sort of just recently sort of moved away towards monocultures. And and like I will not get into the whole monoculture rant again because that is sort of uh, that is a that a horse that I've that I've come back to a little too many times I think. But the the way that the the, the way that we're going to start seeing yields start being reduced. In a, in a variety of ways, especially as some of the things about some of the studies that were pieces that um, that Manbeg is getting to here are the ways that say climate will impact uh, that, could, that could impact farming yields, the ways that water yield water could impact farming yields, the ways that soil erosion can impact, can, can, will impact farming yields, and all three of these things can be tied back to the way that we are currently farming is unsustainable, and so we have to start thinking about how you shift that. And then, of course, the question is, okay, well, then how do you feed everyone if you're not going to be able, if you're not going to do that? And the answer to that question, in part, uh, is, well, you stop feeding a lot of the food you're growing to animals. Uh, like, and, and that is sort of, the, that's sort of the leap you have to make here, because when you look at the amount of, of, extra, of, of other food required to grow to then get a gram of protein, say, um, it is... It is. It is. It's huge. You know. It, it. It takes. It requires over one square meter of land for a single gram of protein. That's beef or pork. That, that, that's beef, and and that like, and that is so much higher than everything else. Like beef and beef and mutton uh, are over five times as more more uh, needs five times more land for one gra- for a per gram of protein than even the next highest, which is pork. You know, it, it's 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 huge, and so it's whenever someone is when I feel like whenever whenever that question gets asked, whenever the question of like, well, how do we feed everyone? How do we feed ten billion people um, without if 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 we're not if we're not doing this sort of more industrialized agriculture? And it's like the real question is, how do you feel? How do you feed ten billion people and fifty billion cattle? Oh wait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't have fifty billion cattle. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> that's really easy. It's, it's it, like as far as as far as I feel like 
when you see what you see often in these sort of movements is the is the easiest thing gets done first, right? The, the, the easiest sort of and you sort of cut off the the sort of the the biggest drops. You know, uh, the example I have is here in Ontario. You see the the getting rid of coal was actually a pretty was a pretty easy step, but now that they've got rid of coal, the next step of climate change is a, a mitigation is actually much more difficult. You know, the next from getting rid of coal plants was a relatively easy step and then you get to a much harder step of like you know transitioning all the heat furnaces off natural gas and things like that which is a much much harder reduction and we haven't seen that same sort of lens been applied to uh been applied to the food world i think in part because of uh, of the power of the of, of some of the the fast food in the, the beef industry specifically because like just getting rid of beef is just and or at least mass or, or at least turning beef into a um into a uh, a more luxury item, you know, mm. not something like ground beef that gets put in the cheapest things we eat. Like some of the cheapest things we eat have have ground beef in them, and from a climate perspective, that just does not make sense. Right. It, and it, it the just, reason for that is, and the reason for that is subsidy, right? And it's a chain thing. Part of that is is that they can afford to feed them cheap feed because of corn subsidies, and lo- like there's this whole chain of policy. So I want to come. I want to come back to that. I, w- right. I don't want to interrupt you. I'm gonna. That'll be part of my point later. But I just wanted to flag it as we go past it. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so and so I think that's to me the 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 first sort of step here is like okay let's just accept the fact that if we're if part of a transition and, and the the whole food system especially is 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 a a bit of a a, a very convoluted nightmare. Um, in part because it was never no part of it was sort of built we say system as if it was planned but that that is not it did not come to be planned the way it was it sort of it came out of the fact that because farmers were the most important like like you know farming and agriculture created and helped allow for civilization to exist and so they were sort of the first things to be regulated and first things to be brought into the fold of these sort of movements and of the movements of creating our our countries mm. that now and the policy that now just sort of dominate the conversation and so all of the policies that exists with around food systems is is weird um and, and none of them are sort of built to make it fully sustainable or to make it to do all the other things it's it's built almost for a for a hundred or years ago uh, or 200 years ago um and in the way that it it still acts as if farmers are are, are sort of these sort of small local organizations so it, it does a lot of things where it still acts as if these that, that farming has not become an industrialized business and there are certainly some parts that, 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 that i'm not saying there are no farmers left that, that do this but it is certainly ever growing and moving away from that standpoint if and, i if i may we have a <clears throat> we have a food system in the same way that a teenager has a, a room stuff organization system it's not so much a planned system as it was just you know we did a bunch of stuff and now we have this right yeah right it just sort of it happened and then now this is what we have and when we talk about system we're talking about like explaining what we have but it wasn't actually planned that's a really important difference like it wasn't designed holistically it just sort of happened and then you step back and like oh that's a mess yeah it it grew up from a variety of other things that are happening and now exists where it is it it is not something that we sort of and especially you can see that from any standpoint of trying to make something that's that is actually sustainable in that you know or or even to growing things that make sense you know like like the the amount of corn that's grown in the united states just actually doesn't make sense uh for for to feed the United States, so that was the goal. And it, but but quickly, the 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 goal of food has fundamentally shifted from uh, a the the goal of growing enough food to to eat and to survive and to live in your, clo- your local community or a more a larger community to a commodity that you're selling. 
and that fundamental shift, when you see the fundamental shift in things that are this necessary, food, water, stuff like that, when it becomes, when it becomes a commodity and not a, not a right, and, and, the, and when the, the farmers and the people doing it are growing it not to so, – are sort of a part of this other system. It, it, that's where you see the, the real breakdown, I think, within itself in society um, because food and water can't be treated only as a commodity because they are a part of a larger natural system that we don't fully have control over. And so, and or understand, or understand. Um, and they are part of a, they're a requirement for life of humanity. And so it's not like, it's not like I can choose to not eat. Uh, I can choose not to have an iPad. I can't choose to not eat. And so there's a very different way we have to understand these systems and appreciate that they, how they exist that we're just not doing right now. Um, and, and fundamentally, I think that's the question we have to answer within the food system is, and, and I think more largely perhaps with water as well, is what, how do we bring it back? How do we get food out of the, uh, out of the commodity field and back into the, into the natural rights field? Because when you see it as natural right, the question becomes how do you preserve it for as long as possible? How do you make sure the next, next generation has the soil they need? And has a, the, the variety of questions that are being asked and therefore the answers that will be given is very, very different. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it, it taps into my sort of larger premise, which I've touched on in, in a number of different ways, sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly. Um, but this idea that essentially, you know, the things that we exchange, things we think of as goods currently in our in our current in the current iteration of our capitalist system uh, need to be broken into two categories and they need to be broken into requirements and 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 nice things. And, you know, there's better, you know, language for that. But the, the essentially, like, uh, uh, premium, what was the word you used just a minute ago? Uh, uh, yeah, like, need-to-haves and nice-to-haves, essentially. Mm -hmm. So the nice-to-haves uh, should be, you know, costed according to their actual cost. Uh, those That is going to include climate change, that can whatever. If that means that meat is $700 a pound, well, then so be it. Uh, because that isn't accurate. You don't need to have meat. Uh, you don't require meat. Uh, especially if uh, giving people meat comes at the cost of... Uh, basic people having any food uh which it does uh quite directly actually um then that's a problem right so you know society should strive to provide the requirements to survive society doesn't owe you anything beyond that i think that it aside from an opportunity to to have more than that i think but i do think society uh in any functional society uh must provide it all of its citizens with the basic requirements to survive and opportunity to have a you know to the, at least the opportunity to have more than just enough to survive um but i think if we go through everything and sort of group it into that and then say okay the things that we that are requirements those are the things that qualify for subsidies if it's not a requirement for life it doesn't get subsidized <laughs> you know like just immediately you just go through everything like that uh you would have a far more equitable system overnight uh and like that like those are the types of changes now can is, is anyone in a prime minister or, or anyone else in a position to overhaul that during a period no we have to sort of agree as a society and like that's a that's an evolution of how we run our society so i'm not saying you know trudeau should come out and and run on that policy for his re-election um but it is something that we as a society need to accept and understand and say oh like you know I like technology. I bought myself a Christmas present. Um, but if it turns out that 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 is super damaging and that that Christmas present that I bought myself should have been triple the price and that means I can't afford it anymore, too bad. Too bad for me. I'll go up and take up kite flying. 
uh, that is made out of recycled popsicle sticks or whatever. Um, but like those, the, you know, when, when the requirements for life bump up against personal preference, uh, I don't really care so much. Ah, yes, that's good. Thank you for pointing at your watch, Stefan. I did not organize another music break because I've been so busy enjoying our conversation. <laughs> so here we go with another uh, tragically hip song. Let's see what pops up there. Uh, what do we got here? A lot of the same thing. Uh, so what are, what are we going to do in the last section here? If you can buy me 20 seconds. Totally. Ah. Uh, Bob Cajun will be the song. So yeah, give me give me a preview and we'll go here. All right. Uh, well, I, I think the the we're going to keep up in this uh, this this story of food, uh, but dive in a little bit more about really speaking to to sort of what can be, you know, I, like I, okay, what can be done. I, I feel like the, the the food system is such a such a large complex beast that it's that it's that it would be far be it from us to say like these things. Um, but but there's certainly some great some some important information to actually see what's one of the biggest and more worrying trends I think actually uh, that we're heading into is that while we might be limiting our use of our, our consumption of, of oil and in that we might expect to see that sort of decrease, the consumption of meat is increasing. And as from a environmental standpoint, that is bad news. Mm. Uh, and especially as what's concerning to me, uh, as, as well, I'll leave this, I'll leave this good music. What's concerning to me is the concept that at some point it will be, it will be in this was probably the case already currently actually in some in some areas it is where it will be more economically uh beneficial uh to use your food to feed cattle than use your food to feed people and at that point like all of the famines we already exist in today are now uh are now are economic famines rather than like we have enough food where it's not just people can't afford it and as yields decrease which they are already and food prices increase as they are uh, the question will become: Do we start forcing ourselves to not be feeding these, feeding this food to to cattle, or or are we still going to let the the you know the highest bidder win? And right. that that question I think is a fundamental one we'll have to answer. As as we move from an allocation problem to a production problem, yes. yeah, absolutely. So here's a, a, a hit by a century uh, by uh, Tragically Hip, and we'll come back and and I have sort of a, f a closing point. We'll get Stefan to do his, and then we're both going to wish you a happy holidays. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community radio partners, and our podcasts. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We're in the home stretch, Stefan. We got about ten minutes. You're listening to the Green Majority for just tuning in. Uh, if you're tuning in early for the music show after us, welcome. Mm -hmm. This is the Green Majority. We have fun here, uh, mostly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do our best to have fun here. Uh, so, Stefan, I, I did allude to a point, and it, we're somewhat rehatching an old issue, but I, it's something I like to mention when we're talking about this uh, subject because I know that we do have a lot of uh, vegan uh, uh, listeners and uh, some close friends of ours. Uh, are uh, very committed to to that issue and and I would say that uh, it's just do when it when we do spend an, a little bit of time talking about that I do like to sort of reclarify my mm. position on that because I don't want there to be confusion about that so it's it, it absolutely absolutely not eating meat is uh, is at at a bare minimum an excellent and quite possibly uh, the best personal decision you could possibly make to impact climate change no doubt about it yeah I would say that Unless it, unless you're flying a lot and you stop doing that, there's probably right. nothing else you could do. For the vast do. majority of people, it is the single most productive thing an individual can do uh, to impact climate change is eliminate your meat production. Mm. Uh, I think where I 
differ slightly um, is not so much, uh, not around, around that point. There's, there's no debate about that point. Uh, Mambiat, if you would like the details, if you're not quite there yet, please do read the Mambiat article. I'm pretty sure he'll sort you out pretty quick. Um, just from that one article, and there's obviously endless, endless, endless more websites and things you can read about that. I think where it comes down to for me uh, is about tactics. And um, I, like when we're, when we talk about climate change, we were talking about climate change for the vast majority of the 10 years we've been doing this show. Um, it certainly wasn't the main topic when we started, but it quickly became that over the first few years of me being involved in the program. And then it's basically been the climate change show for at least six years, I would say. Um, and whenever we're talking about that, I rarely uh, talk about people and tell them that they should stop driving. And that's not because they shouldn't. <laughs> that's because I don't feel that that is the most efficient way to move forward. Uh, because many people, if you go to a random person in the street and say, hey, you should, you're, you know, if you just walk up to a driver, first of all, don't, because you'll probably get punched in the face. <laughs> uh, but if you did, just theoretically, hypothetically, walk, uh, you know, standing on a street corner and someone comes to a stop and their window's down and you say, hey, you shouldn't be driving. You're, you know, you, you're, this is what you're doing right now is really bad for climate change. They're going to be mad at you. And it's not because they think you're wrong. It's because whether they're right or not, they don't feel like they have a choice. And I, that's, <clears throat> so that's essentially why we don't ever take that angle. Never mind the fact that at least 50% of the people listening to our program are in a car and we don't want to alienate our listeners. That's not really the reason, but it's like, that's, that's one example. There are people who care about this issue enough that they tune into this program every week and they still listen to us in their car every week. Uh, the reason why I think, <clears throat> the reason why we don't that don't do that is for the reason that I think that true or not, most people don't do things because they think they can't. And I think that a lot of people, there's a dynamic getting into psychology a little bit. I think there's a dynamic uh, that at least I've noticed and I tend to imbue into my activism uh, is that if I go to you and say, hey, there's a uh, Stefan tax for $4, give me four bucks. You're like, hey, I want to give you $4. But if it comes in on your tax receipt and there's like, there's a, like, it feels different, right? There's a different feeling of, oh, everyone's doing this. We, we, this is all fair. But when you go to people on a case by case basis, it feels like you're blaming them. There's a lot of defensiveness that can be invoked there. And I just feel, I don't, I don't feel like you can't be successful going that path. I just feel like it's far less effective because you can get people who will sign off on, I think the government should do X, Y, or Z. I think government should raise, you know, prices on beef because of climate change or whatever. But when they personally pay it, they still feel a little bit more, they feel slightly different. Even if they still agree, it feels more personal and, and they're going to have a personal reaction because it's, a, it's, it's not the theoretical, it's the applied, it's affecting them. And so I just personally feel like I'm a better advocate for political change that essentially f takes that decision away from people by using economics by, for instance, as, you, as we talked about earlier, raising the cost of meat. This is a climate change tax. We're going we're to include the cost of climate change. No one's telling you what to eat, but we are telling you how much it's going to cost. I think is uh, A, it, it affects more people over a larger period of time. Uh, it, it is more is a single action that can be taken. Obviously, it's cheating because it's a single action that affects more people. But that's the point um, is that I just feel like you're going to imbue the most change over the shortest period of time that that way. Uh, however, before I pass to you, Stefan, for the final, final comment, I would like to clarify that I don't think in any way that people shouldn't do that. Uh, I love that people are, are active on this issue, and I, I absolutely support and appreciate anyone who goes around and has those sorts of conversations with people or hands out leaflets or does any of those other things. Um, it's just not for me because that's not what I'm good at, and I personally don't think it's as effective. Uh, but I do think it, it is effective, and I do think it's worthwhile. So if that is something that you're uh, doing or something is important to you, uh, we do appreciate you and we do support you. You. Uh, I just like to sort of sh 
I just like to explain how I can have that feeling of appreciation, support, and agreement, uh, but not necessarily take the same course of action. Um, so that's our sort of quarterly reminder of that, <laughs> at least my position. And I believe that you're more or less on the same page with me on that. Uh, so not necessarily a show position, but at least my personal right. position on that issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like we're looking at um, at, at, at the what can be done it's unquestionably the 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 best thing uh like it's it's at least like from a from a personal standpoint and and yet still it's a the yeah the the number of sort of difficulties you get into surrounding sort of absolutism is 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 a bevy uh but what's interesting is is actually seeing how much uh, the percentage of people who are, you know, vegan or vegetarian or at least conscious about what they eat is impacting actually already by what is available in stores. Uh, it is, you know, I, I it, it is dramatically easier to be vegetarian now. I think in in the in the in the city of Toronto than it was because uh, almost every every place has at least a vegetarian option. It's very rare to go to a place where you're going to be super not. It, it's becoming more common that vegan options are available as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even the presumption, it, 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 even like the 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 trends from say 1980s uh, to now of of what is available to uh, to a person per year in Canada is is actually interesting, and that we're seeing a pretty sharp decline in um, uh, in beef and pork, you know, and so it's for about almost half for beef. So beef starting in 1980 and 1981 around then they were looking at about 38 kilograms or 39 kilograms of of beef available to per, per person in in Canada and it's down to about 20 now or 25 now so it's it's actually de- it's it's all not half but it's decreased quite significantly and the same with pork at the same time we're seeing chicken dramatically increase and so you're seeing a bunch of people who are moving away from the red meats and that could easily be to do to, to do a variety of issues including actually just how much healthier it is to, eat, to not eat red meat um, but that shift alone has a pretty big impact on 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 your carbon output, and then mo- removing say you chicken and eggs and, the, and and dairy from your your diet is sort of the next the next step that you could do, and all of that is 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 being driven by the fact that there are people out there who make the decision first. There's 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 sort of lead indicators here of people who are creating enough options and a creative spaces available to make it easier for everyone else to make the decision, right? In any sort of societal shift, there are people who are leading it um and then and then creating a space in which other options are there. And I think as I mentioned earlier, one of the major things we need to look at here is how you create a society where beef and pork in in these sort of things are a a luxury rather than a um rather than just sort of a throwaway meal. And I think this shift is what could lead to that. The the shift of of saying no like if you are a, if you're if you eat vegan 85% of the time and then you have uh you have a hamburger uh once every 2 months, you're dramatic you're, you're still doing most of the good it's 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 not so much like it's not so much that eating that you can't call yourself a vegan because you eat meat once every two months and therefore that doesn't count the rest of the good you're doing doesn't count um and i think it's that what we're what we'll see is that is the slight shift uh as that happens will slowly make more and more of an impact and so Every time you order a vegetarian dish, you're telling the market that they should have more of that. Mm-hmm. And so each time you make that decision once, you can you you feel good about yourself because that's that matters and that's important. Um, and that's all I got. 
Yeah, and I definitely, I was actually about to add a further comment, but we are out of time, Stefan. We'll have to come back to this. Maybe the, if this is something people, uh, I'm sure, will get an email. Hopefully, it's one of support, but I guarantee you we'll get an email uh, about that. I'm absolutely happy to continue this uh, discussion. If you have any, uh, as always, to anyone, if you have any guest suggestions, you can go ahead and do that as well. Send them to us. Email us through the Green Majority website at greenmajority.ca. But that is all the time we have, Stefan. We're going to go. I'm going to uh, enjoy some uh, snow. I'm going to enjoy my Christmas present oh, and, mm-hmm. uh, and enjoy some friends and family. And I hope you guys do too. Uh, we will be back, I think, once more after Christmas, but before New Year's, I think, if the dates are lining up in my brain the right way. Uh, And then in the New Year, we do have some guest plans, so look forward to that as well. Happy holidays, everybody, and take care.